Welcome, Cathy. It's very nice to have you with us this afternoon. <laughs> Thanks. I hope that you're not too nervous. No, I'm not too nervous to be grilled by my wife. Um, if you don't mind, Mark, I have two very quick questions that the congregation have asked me to ask you. Oh, right. Is that okay? Uh, the first one is, if you had not been called to be a minister, what do you think you would have been? Oh. Well, probably an architect, because I really like buildings. However, the thing is that in my school days, um, I was terrible. It's what's called technical drawing. Like, my drawings looked awful. And I came top in metalwork and woodwork in theory, but bottom in the practice. Mm. Somehow, I could do the theory, but not translate it to my hands. Oh. So, possibly that. Yeah, okay. Do you think? And the second question, and I think this is a genuine one, is where did you get your wonderful singing voice from? Okay. Um, I'm going to leave that to Jill Marie Cooper to judge and stuff whether I've got a, a, a wonderful singing voice or what. Oh, the other job might have been Prime Minister as well, but, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I think I'm really nasally in my voice. Don't, don't you think? I, I think you've got a gorgeous voice. I really do. Thanks, yeah, Kat. Anyway. Kat. Thanks, Kat. So last week, uh, we were sharing a little bit about growing up in Stoke-on-Trent, although um, we'd never met each other until we were in church, did yeah. we? But actually, Mark, something happened early in your childhood, didn't it, that kind of had a big impact? Uh, yeah. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, it did. Um, for these first three weeks uh, of being the pastor here, we wanted uh, you to get to know us. And I know this is a little bit different. Um, and also, it might seem that I'm doing all the preaching, I guess because that is true. But we will, we will uh, make it so that it's more varied uh, in November and so on. But when I was eight years old, my, my father left um, our home to go and build... Um, when I was three years old, my father left to build a railway in Tanzania in Africa. And he built a railway, and because of that, he earned enough money for us to move uh, from the council estate we grew up and uh, to buy a private house, although if you saw it, it was no big shakes or anything. And he came back when I was seven, but he died when I was eight years old. And so for most of my life, I've been brought up by a single parent. And uh, with a very strong, my mother was a very strong character, uh, had a really fiery temper, um, was very anti-God. And so I found my father uh, dead. I was the person that discovered him. And um, I battled actually with years that it was due to me that he actually died because he died of an aneurysm on the brain and I threw a brick and hit him on his head one time but I don't think the two events were connected. Although isn't it funny how the enemy tries to put things in your mind and put things in your heart where you think, oh, that's all my fault. And, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of say to you today that I felt in my spirit that I needed to say to some people today some of the things that you're blaming yourself for weren't your fault. It's not your fault. And you're carrying some things that aren't for you to carry. So, yeah, my father passed away um, early on in life. And uh, so I kind of know what it's like to grow up in a single... Well, not kind of. I do know what it's like to grow up in a single-parent family. Yeah. Um, yeah. My mother was a factory worker... Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we can well, tell you, you lots know, about that. As you that. say, she was a very strong lady. Mark had two, so two older brothers. She brought up three boys by herself as well as working full-time in, in a factory. And she was very strong-minded. She didn't want anything to do with God. She didn't want anything to do with the church. And she would never tell anybody, would she, that you were a minister. No. She, may, she was always saying, oh, he's a school teacher. She, she was so embarrassed by the fact that yeah. Mark was a minister. But it didn't end like that, did it? No, no, not at all. My, and my mother was always embarrassed that I was a minister, as Cathy said. And uh, she never would introduce me as a minister. Uh, and I'd just say, Mom, it's my job. And she'd go, no, that's something you do on the side. You really, you've trained to be a school teacher. Well... I trained to be a school teacher for a terrible reason. Um, 
and and really, um, I'm embarrassed to say this, and it's going out online. So forgive me, all you hardworking, committed school teachers who give your life and soul for the growing up of our children. I became a school teacher because they have long holidays, and it meant I could work for the church. In my gasp, in my school holidays, I was planting churches. I thought, well, I could earn money, but there'd be lots of time to plant church. And that's a terrible reason to be a school teacher. You should be called to be a school teacher and do it because you want to do it. But she always used to introduce me as, as a school teacher, and she would never admit to her, to friends, that I was a minister. And I wonder if you could just imagine that for a moment of growing up in a home where your parent would just just embarrassed about what you did. And, um, you know, we've all had to walk a little bit of a measure of healing about that. And so, but, um, and she was quite anti-God all most of her life. She came to one or two uh, worship services, didn't she, Kath? I think she years. came only really when the children were dedicated. I yes, think those were the only when the children were dedicated came. and um, nearly set fire to the church through lighting candles. Do you remember that, Kathy, and all that? But my mother caught what had cancer. And um, I, I was very convicted to... Um, I, I'd witnessed to my mum on and off throughout her life. And it was always difficult. Witnessing to my brothers was difficult as well. And um, my mother, about a month before she, she uh, passed away, probably six weeks, I talked to her about would she like to make her peace with God. And in her mind, she thought she was accepting defeat um, and accepting that the cancer would take her, which of course it eventually did. And um, she died of lung cancer because she smoked for 50 years. And so um, she said, oh, no, 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 I don't want to accept God. No, 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 no. And uh, two weeks later, I talked to her again. And God gave me a word of knowledge about what my mum was thinking. Um, If you're new, uh, when I say a word of knowledge, there's a gift of the Spirit where you can discern what people are thinking. Uh, uh, The Lord tells you, Jesus, you know, it says Jesus, he knew what the Pharisees were thinking, doesn't it? You know, so um, the Lord said to me, she thinks that if, if you say to her, make her peace with me, that she's giving up. So I said to her, Mom, um, accepting the Lord and making you peace with God doesn't mean to say you're accepting that you're going to die. It means that you make your peace with God, but also he may speak to you, he may heal you, but you can't just accept him because you're afraid, although it's not a bad reason. You can't just, you know, if he heals you, you've got to live for him afterwards. And she thought about it, and she said, I I mean, I couldn't believe it, could we? We were bold over it. She said, you know, you're right. All my life, I've lived without God, and he's been there all the time. And she accepted the Lord and said, well, whether I I get healed or not, I'm going to live for him. And that was two weeks before she died, and she became a Christian. And I think that is a great testimony in two ways, really. And in the first way, how even the most seemingly hardened person, um, if you keep witnessing to them, you know, they can become a Christian. Uh, But also, from God's point of view, that he never gives up on anyone. No matter how much people have rejected God, I think God just keeps pursuing them till the very, very end. You know, he never gives up on people. Yeah. And I think... I think we're going to be surprised who we find in heaven. It was lovely. We're going to turn around and say, ooh, fancy you being here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Mark, you became a Christian, I think, at 14. Is that right? And would you like to tell us how that happened? Because that's very similar to my... 
brother, isn't it? It's yeah, kind well, of your brother was instrumental for all of us, wasn't he, Alan? Uh, and uh, he may watch this online, actually. He lives in Wigan. He's been a, a lay preacher in the Methodist Church now for a, a long time. But um, I became a Christian. I, we didn't grow up as Christians at all. Uh, I mean, I think we said that. Um, we were very secular. We didn't know anything. And uh, we really have a lot of compassion on people. And you might come today and you think you don't know enough and all the people around you uh, know what they're doing and how to worship and all the rest of it. Uh, we didn't know anything, did we, really? I mean, you were a lot posher than I was. <laughs> okay, you're not going to respond to that. This morning, when I said we got a great, I got a great sense of direction, Kathy was doing some strategic coughing as if she was saying, I wasn't, haven't got a I think there are lots of stories to tell based on what Mark said this morning, but we just don't really have time to go into them now. But maybe we'll make that another. Yeah, and if you're watching online, yeah. just catch up online on some of the things mm. I said this morning. And Kathy's going to come back and tell you the real truth. Uh, but yeah, I, I went. Uh, I wanted to take French at school. There was a, a, a stream of exams called CSE, which was one lower down than GCSE. And I wasn't allowed to take uh, GCSE uh, in, in some things. So I opted for CSE French. And the teacher said to me, oh, no, no, you're too naughty. You talk too much. You have to take RE, uh, religious education. So I had to take RE, which was the parallel class. It was the choice from CSE French. And so I went to RE... And the curriculum in for that was the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And so for a year, we studied the gospel of Luke and we did a project. And uh, through the teacher teaching the gospel of Luke every week, I became more and more enraptured with the story of Jesus. And um, so... Uh, I used to go into class at first, I used to sit at the back and we used to, there's a, there was a program, a storytelling program on, on television called Jackanory and it was about stories. So we used to sing the theme tune as the RE teacher used to walk in, we gave him a terrible time. But here's the thing, um, when I went to school, you were still allowed to cane people with a, with a stick I know it sounds weird. And so the person who led me to the Lord has actually beaten me with the cane and the stick as well uh, because uh, I used to have to get the cane quite regularly and he would administer it. So it's kind of weird to think now that the person who led me to the Lord has actually disciplined me as well a lot. Uh, and so he was very faithful and he ran a little church as well as being an RE teacher. And he invited some of my friends to see uh, a gospel group called Living Stones. And uh, they, they went along and they said it was great, but I didn't want to go. And then he actually came to my house and knocked, uh, my RE teacher came to my house and said, I'd really like you to come to our church. And for three weeks, I kind of put him off. And actually, I remember one of my excuses was, I'm washing my hair, which is like, <laughs> you know, bizarre, isn't it, a teenage boy? It was long at the time, though, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it, it was long. I'm really, yeah, sorry about that. My hair used to be quite long and, um, yeah, anyway. So I went along to this little church which I think Claudette probably knows uh, what I'm talking about, was a holiness church. Uh, and what they meant by that is they had some kind of ways of, of living, um, not going to the cinema, not wearing any jewellery, not wearing any makeup. Um, uh, uh, and I walked in with a green dot on my forehead, my hair down to my waist, um, tartan jeans, the whole works. But I want to tell you something about that. Those people loved me. Those people just accepted me. They had all their standards that they kept by, but they didn't make me feel uncomfortable at all. 
They must have looked at me and thought an alien had walked in. But they just were normal with me. They were loving to me. They were so kind. And I want to say that to you, that I wonder if we could be the same. That no matter who comes, we just accept them. So I didn't become a Christian that week, and, um, but was really convicted. You know, it was one of those things where I felt like the pastor was just talking to me. And I think he spoke on something like a prophecy or, you know, it wasn't really seeker friendly or anything. In the week between becoming a Christian, excuse me, going to church and then the following Sunday becoming a Christian, I did everything I could think of to get rid of the feeling that I should become a Christian. Like I was more of a happy-go-lucky, jokey person at school. I had my first fight at school uh, that week to try and get rid of this feeling. The guy was half the size of me, so it didn't matter. Uh, I, uh, I actually, oh, this is the kind of weird story. And um, when I tell this, you'll think this is not true. This is true, okay? I decided I was going to try drugs for the first time. Okay, in that week to get rid of this conviction that I should. And the local drug dealer's nickname was Jesus. <laughs> and they used to call him Jesus. And Jesus came up my street because somebody had not paid him and he'd got several uh, of his guys to come and beat up this guy in our street. And I knew he was coming to cause trouble. So I went out my back door and we had an entryway in between. And I knelt down. I'm not a Christian. I knelt down and said, Lord, please don't let Jesus come. And I'm thinking, what a bizarre prayer that is. <laughs> On the week before I'm saved, I'm saying, don't let Jesus come and uh, hurt anybody here. And anyway, that, that didn't work out. And um, he didn't find me or didn't come. But the Jesus on the following Sunday did find me and did come. So I, I, we, I became a Christian in a really small church and it was in a garage. And then literally it was a garage where a single car garage, there was only 20 chairs in it and a little piano and the pastor, when he made the appeal, you couldn't go forward because there wasn't any room. So we went upstairs into his study with the youth leader. And I, I was completely consumed, funny enough, with a sense of purpose as well as convicted about my sins. So that's it. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Now, of course, everybody here knows you as the senior pastor of Kensington Temple. Yeah. And uh, perhaps before that as being the senior pastor of Birmingham City Church. Yeah. Uh, both quite large churches, of course, this yeah. one especially. Uh, but ministry hasn't always been that easy, has it? No. no so we... would you like to tell us about some of the issues or struggles that you, know, yeah. that you faced? I mean, you might see us here, but we have had some spectacular failures, haven't we? Or, or things that haven't worked out. I, I planted churches and uh, planted a church actually in Ealing for the New Testament Church of God way, way, way back in the 1980s. And uh, that, that kind of transitioned into another church and that was fine. We went to Glasgow and we, I didn't realise that the Scottish people didn't like English people. I don't know. Uh, and when there was an England and, England and Scotland football match, I did not believe that how much, um, well, that was tough, wasn't it? You know, I worked in a factory um, making hi-fi speakers and as well as planting the church and they wouldn't speak to me for a week. I mean, literally, they would not speak to me. It was a very tough ground. And we planted a Sunday school act, actually and, uh, and people were throwing bricks at us and all sorts of things. It was tough going, wasn't it? Very, but yeah, very. God helped and we got the Sunday school going and we had an outreach Sunday school on a very tough estate. But 
I met Pastor Wynne Lewis and uh, through uh, somebody who I, I was, uh, later I was a youth leader in a church, and Pastor Wynne Lewis said to me uh, that, hey, we've got a church next to where you live, and if you wanted to take that, um, we, would, we would let you do that. So he kind of basically poached me from that denomination. And um, when we were praying about it, Kathy and I had all already gone to uh, Luton Christian Fellowship for an interview for a job as a youth leader. Mm-hmm. And the pastor there was a guy called Alan West, who was the captain of Luton Football Club at one time. And he said to us, oh, we'd love you to come and work with us. So a long story short, um, Wynne Lewis invited us actually to think about becoming the pastors of what was then Letchworth Elam Church. On the phone to Alan uh, and saying to him, hey, Alan, I think you're going to hear that we might be... um, you might be criticised for inviting us to be your youth leader because the pastor we were serving with uh, didn't like the fact that people were asking us to do other jobs. It's about right, isn't yeah, it? You know? Yeah, Which is fair enough. And Alan, on the phone, closed his eyes and he said, what if the elders, and he knew nothing of this, what if the elders in what was then called Church on the Way, asked you to lead that church. And I said to him, oh, Alan, who's been gossiping? Because um, actually I was going to tell you as well that, that we've been approached about that and we're just praying about which, which opportunity to take. I said, how do you know that? And he said, oh, I don't. While I was on the phone to you, I closed my eyes and saw their church sign in my mind and just read it off. And we began to conclude that God was leading us to join the Elam church and then join that church, didn't Mm, we? Yeah. And uh, God began to move us into that ministry and that meant that we became Elam pastors. Mm, It's a bit of a convoluted story, but it did happen that way, didn't it? It did, it did. Um, I think uh, when Mark was talking about Glasgow and said we've had some spectacular failures, there were other uh, places where we've been and tried to work and, and, you know, it's been very difficult and not been very successful at all. And sometimes I think it's easy to look at perhaps, I don't know if we are the finished article, but, you know, someone well-established in in what they do and and feel that you'll just get from there to there in one go. Um, But I just think it's important to know that for anybody, there are... A lot of struggles along the way, aren't they? But in all of those things, I think, and there were some times when we basically had no money, did we, really, apart from bare essentials. But God always um, has looked after us, even in the darker darker times, and has always provided for us. Um, So if you're going through a a difficult time now, just know that that you will get out of it and God will look after you. Well, I, I felt a real failure in Glasgow because... Not only as a minister, because things weren't going well, although we did get something going, but the bricks that were thrown at us were actually real, weren't they? And it did hurt. Um, But also as a husband, because at that time, we lost a child. And uh, when Kathy, when we were going to the hospital, we didn't have the money to have the full bus fare. So we got the bus half the way, and I felt really like as a man, as a husband, oh, you can't even provide for your wife, what sort of minister are you? Because we had to walk some of the way to the hospital for then you to go and have a, a kind of miscarriage and all of that, and, and it was just a dark time in our lives. Yeah. So I just want to say to you... Um, God is with you in your struggles. And uh, uh, being on a platform, uh, it's a privilege. It, it's not a right. And um, I know that you've got your story and you've got your journey. And we've got ours. And we don't think ours is harder than anybody else's. But we do think that 
everybody goes through stuff and we care about that. And we always try and pray that God gives us large hearts to be able to care about what you're going through. Please don't make us a saint about any of that. I'm sure that you'll be able to minister to people out of your weaknesses as well, like we all do. Don't you think, Kathy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's in the tough times, isn't it, when you, you, you really know who God is? And yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Last things. Yeah, well, here we are at KT, Mark. Yeah. been here. This is our second Sunday now. And um, I don't know if you wanted to share the story of how you felt called to KT, because we, we never go somewhere just because we think it's a good opportunity, yeah. do we? Or, or even just because we're asked, really. But you've always felt very strongly called. Yeah. Do you want to talk yeah. about that a bit? You, you know, I, I think I will. I'm going to tell you um, briefly that we were definitely called here, and it was actually over a year ago. I talked to Jill Marie earlier, and I think I shocked her by saying, I've been watching you online for two years, and they think, who's this, my stalker or something? I don't know, but um, it's not that. We, we, it was over a year ago that, that I was woken up in the middle of the night, and I'm actually not going to share everything about it today because I'm going to build it into some future teachings but I want you to know that we were called definitely here and God woke me up at two o'clock in the morning and gave me five messages for KT so after the fifth week I ain't got anything left no (laughs) it's five different messages for Kensington Temple around the life of Joseph and I haven't shared those yet actually and that happened to me five times five messages five times but always at two o'clock in the morning. In fact, in the end, I was kind of saying, Lord, what is it about two o'clock in the morning? (laughs) So I I do want to say to you that we are not uh, coming here as Elam-promoted people, although that's a great privilege. And one of the messages that God gave me was that, that we are like a Joseph and that we need to make sure that we connect with our church family and um, but we're not just coming here because it's a promotion we're coming here because we felt called we were very very happy in Birmingham and uh, by your lovely welcome and by the way we've started I think we're going to be very very happy here we love it here in fact I'm really embarrassed because I don't miss Birmingham at all oh this is going online isn't it Um, I, I don't miss it I, f- I feel at home, don't you, Kathy? Yeah. Very we, much so. Very much. Yeah. And yeah. we feel like, it, it, is it only our second Sunday? We feel like we've been ages here. Yeah. And that doesn't, you know, we just feel part of the family, don't we? Mm. But, it, but it, I think it's a supernatural connection. And so thank you for your welcome. I do want you to know that we were called. And in Elam, I'm known as somebody who's quite strategic. And my... Old staff team would say you can only draw circles, triangles, straight lines and squares because you're always diagramming things, and, uh, which is true. But I came here also, I had five wake-ups from the Lord and then also a very strong prophetic dream about this church, which we will share with you. And we won't, it's not, I'm not going to be mysterious. We will share with you what it is. Um, Uh, when we've preached some more on Sundays. But we will share that with you. But I I just want to make the point, we came here through a definite call. And Cathy, why don't you share a little bit when I first shared with you about it, uh, how you felt about coming here and, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, When we were in Letchworth, which is a very small town, uh, Mark always used to say to me, wouldn't you love to go and live in a big city? And I always said, no, I wouldn't. And then he got called to Birmingham. And as soon as he said Birmingham, I knew that that, that was the right place for us to be. And when we were in Birmingham now, again, he, he would say, oh, wouldn't you just love to be in KT? And I'd say, well, it's a long commute for you, you know, if you, if you want to go to KT, but I'm not going. <laughs> but when um, Mark had that dream and uh, shared it with me, it's, it's kind of as though God just dropped, something in you and you think yeah well I think we're going now Um, and I wasn't kind of 
I didn't feel anything deeply emotional. It was just a very matter of fact. Yeah, I think that's what we're going to do. And people have said, aren't you worried about, you know, giving up your home here in Birmingham and, you know, moving away from Leah, who's having twins and, and setting up somewhere new, you know, at your age? Um, and I just thought, I just feel easy, very easy about it because it's not, that's not kind of trying to big me up or anything, but it's just like God is in it and saying, you're going to go and it's going to be fine. And it's been actually great, hasn't it? It's been great. Been great. Yeah, I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. So and, th- you know, people have remarked on our age and we do feel like that we are like young for our age and we think we'll be here a long time. So, you know, we're not just transitional leaders or anything like that. We just feel like we're going to dig in, build, grow and really do things that... Well, somebody gave us a prophecy that we'll walk in places that KT has never walked before as well, you know, so we're just really, we're really excited to be here, aren't we, Cathy? Yeah, yeah we are. And uh, actually, through the interview process and everything, Cathy was more, com- uh, you know, I'd had all these dreams and visions and I'm thinking, oh, what if they don't like me? What if the board don't like me? Oh, what if I say the wrong things? Cathy's going got it you've got it she's more convicted than I was and she was much more calmer than I was and I was the one who was a bit more jittery wasn't I Mm. yes that's true (laughs) (laughs) that's true but that's just one of the differences between I think it's because it was it meant such a great deal to you didn't it you know you weren't blasé about it no it meant a great deal to you yeah Yeah. it was yeah it was a massive yeah well I know you're going to share some things in a minute or two aren't you but thanks for sharing today and being open Thanks, and, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's great to be with you guys. How many of you know the concept of Jubilee? You know, there used to be an old chorus in the Elam Chorus book. Uh, for some of you, you may know, this is the year of Jubilee. This is the year of Jubilee, when all the captives are set free. Come you all, you blind, you maim, leap and shout for joy again, for this is the year of Jubilee. There's none of you who know that song at all, do you? Yeah, you do, Kathy. Yeah. It was a yellow chorus book. You're all looking at me saying, who is this old guy? But Jubilee in the Bible is less of a, a festival. It's more of a command. And what I want to say to you is I think our church is in a period of Jubilee. Jubilee was a time of transition. Jubilee was a time of change. Jubilee was a time when things that had built up over the years had to be rebalanced again. How many of you would probably think Jubilee's great? But for some people, Jubilee was a transition time. Can I read you where Jubilee comes from in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible and you can blow the dust off the Old Testament pages, go to Leviticus chapter 25 and we'll read five verses from verse 8 to 13 and then we'll skip to the end of the chapter. So Leviticus 8, excuse me, Leviticus 25 verse 8 through 13. Here's what the Israelites were commanded to do. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the Day of Atonement, the sound of the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty and proclaim freedom. Say, this is a time of change. And throughout the land, to all its inhabitants, nobody could say, I'm not bothered about Jubilee. Everybody else, you you get on with it. I'm not joining in. You could not say to yourself, well, you can do that, but actually, I'm not celebrating Jubilee this year that when it was Jubilee, everybody had to join in. That's an important principle about Jubilee. 
It shall be jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow, do not reap what grows of itself or a harvest in untended vines. In other words, the wild places don't don't put into that. For it's jubilee and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to, re- is to return to their own property. In other words, come home. Go home. Go where you're supposed to be. Turn with me to um, verse 39, if you will. And we'll just finish off. There's lots of laws about Jubilee, but we'll just summarize it. If any of you or your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves, for they are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents amongst you. They have to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they are, then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clans and to their own property and to their own ancestors. Because the Israelites, my servants, whom I bought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves and do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. When we used to talk about Jubilee, it used to be a big celebration, a big party, uh, a big time of liberty, and you would have heard that teaching. But in this season that we're here at Katie, at Kensington Temple, this is a Jubilee time. This is a time where some things will be released, but it is a time when we have to say, and what Kathy and I want to say, and the reason why we want to share some of our story is we're trying to say to you, Let's do this together. Let, let not me and Kathy be the ones who are just doing this, but let's do it together as a family, as a church family. Although we are new, we feel like we're already sons and daughters of the house. We feel so welcome and connected by you. In verse nine, it says, sound the trumpet through all the land, make sure everybody's on board. So I want to ask you something today. Uh, This is kind of a preach kind of appeal. I want to say, if you've got some friends that that you know are not quite connected with Katie, why don't you sound the trumpet through the land and begin to say, hey, we're, we're in a new season. You know, we're not saying anything bad about other seasons. We're just saying now, we're in a new season. Can you send the trumpet out? Can you hear an amen? That everybody joins in. It's a time for us to call uh, to attention to say that this is now a part of our lives. This is who we are. This is also a time for us. Jubilee was a time to remember the big picture of who we are. Remember that the people of Israel and the children of Israel had to remember you were called for freedom. So all those parts of your land now that are not free and all those people who are not free, this is a time for you to remind yourselves this is not your destiny. And I want to say to you that this is a time for us that we remember that liberty and freedom for everyone will be a key theme of what we want to happen here in Kensington Temple. That liberty has to be on every level. Do you remember the New Testament? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, which comes out of the Old Testament. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, there is freedom. Every level. That's what Jubilee is about. Your personal freedom needs a refresh. We all need to refresh our personal freedom. That once again, one of the things that we just believe God wants to catalyze around our ministry is you once again say, oh, I just want to refresh myself in the Lord. We have to remember that our city isn't free. 
and we need to bring freedom to our city. That it's time now for us to say Jubilee. It's time for a transition time to a deeper level of freedom. Let me just give you three ideas of the type of freedom that, that we can start with. There were three basic freedoms that Jubilee covered. First of all, there was rest from the land and the soil. But actually, a real look at what was fruitful was what happened at Jubilee. They would look at all of their crops, all of their fields, bring rest to them and say, is that producing the fruit that it needs to produce? And it says, in the 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself and harvest untended vines. In other words, in any society and in any farm, in any church, things grow up that actually are a sideline, that actually aren't supposed to be there, or actually they're not really producing all the fruit that they should be producing. And actually the parts of the land that had just sprung up and were not proper fields, it was the time of Jubilee to let them go. And I don't want to say about the ministries here, that's not my point. What I'm actually wanting to say is to say to you as a person, are you involved in all the right ministries that you're supposed to be involved in? Or have you actually taken on board some things that aren't actually the best thing for you? Is it time for you to say, you know what, I am going to be involved in ministry and I'm involved in these two ministries and I'm going to leave these three other ministries to the side because it's my time to kind of reassess what is actually producing the right fruit. Can you hear that from me today? That actually this may be a time where you have a rest. That actually the official harvest field and on a personal level, that you're not sidetracked and involved in the things that you shouldn't be involved in. That actually, that you've got to say to yourself, you know what, there are some things that are just not producing fruit in my life. As a church, as a person, perhaps it's time we give our lives to the solid ministries and the core ministries and say, let's rejig and rebuild. Maybe this is a message for Sunday morning. You'll just have to tell your friends that they missed it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, This is then how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and of those who are entrusted with the mysteries of God that God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Can I just simply lay at your door of your heart, are you being faithful with your life and your ministry by investing in the right things? But, or have you decided to take lots of things on that are wearing you out and maybe it's time for you to rest from some of the things you're involved in? See, lots of pastors, they worship at two altars involvement and attendance. They want you to come and they want you to be, you know, come, of course we do. And then they want you to be involved. But perhaps me as a pastor, I'm saying, we want you to come, of course we want you to come. But you need to be involved in the right things and not just involved. Is it time to have a rest and just make some things that you need to make happen, happen? and leave the rest to God's grace. Can everybody take a big sigh and go, whew, man, he's taking a load off me. Maybe you need to do that in the Lord. The second thing about Jubilee was simply this, as well as assessing where fruitfulness is and where uh, ministry should be involved, 
It was the return of property. But in Israel, really, property was about the rightful inheritance. That people owned land and that was their inheritance. That was the thing that gave them their family identity. And that things that were lost through property meant that you had lost your inheritance and your ability to be part of society. I want to talk to you as a person. Has your Christianity lost what you used to really believe in? The inheritance that God had given you right at the start, that you've let that go a little bit. This is what it says in the book of Colossians. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and in the kingdom of his light. For he's rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I've gone off the boil. That I've forgotten how precious it is to be a Christian. I wonder what you've lost and you need to rekindle. That was the whole thing about Jubilee. Get back to what you really should own. And that's really what Jubilee was about. Go home, own your inheritance, be the person you're supposed to be. It's never too late to start again in the Christian life. If you've blown it, if you've messed up, it's never too late to once again turn around and say, I'm making a new start. You know what? Why don't you turn to your new neighbour and say, make a new start, why don't you? (laughs) It's never too late to make a new start. Some of you are actually saying to people in an accusing way, I meant it to be an encouragement, not an accusing way, say, make a new start, why don't you? Why are you wearing that? But you know, I really believe that. One of my values is that everyone can change. I I believe that with every fabric of my being, that by the grace of God, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I can be found and I can change. It's never too late to start again. You know, David Campbell, who did my uh, induction, he often says a phrase. He often says, I wonder who the worst Christian is amongst us. And I always think, Dave, why? He said, and he would say, and he says, it's got to be one of you. (laughs) Who the worst Christian is amongst us? And I'm thinking, Dave, don't do that. And then he turns it around and says, it's probably me, you know, and all of that. But I don't, I, I, just for a serious moment, you might be beaten up and you might be bruised as a Christian, but you can start again. And if you feel like you're the worst Christian in this place, we don't think that about you. What we think is God's great and we have a champion who can really change all of our lives. Amen? Third thing about Jubilee. It's really important. Jubilee was about restoring the release of people. The the first thing was about looking at fruitfulness. It was always about checking out whether the fields that you were working in were really producing what they should produce. The second thing was always about returning property and making sure that people had their inheritance again that was rightfully theirs. But the the third thing was restoration of people who were in slavery who shouldn't be in slavery. That, That actually Israelites were born for freedom, but because of the way things had gone, some of them had given themselves into slavery so that they could survive. Look at verse 39. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. A jubilee time is a time to restore relationships. 
And you know, I can say this because I'm new. There may be some people who you've fallen out with in KT. By our welcome, you're the most loving church that we have ever been in. But I am sure that there are some of you who might be looking across saying, stop preaching now, pastor, because you've started meddling in my life. But isn't this a time where we could all make a new start and say, I forgive you. Let's restore our relationship. And right now, the Holy Spirit is placing people in your mind who you need to have a little conversation with. Because it's time to bring them out of your slavery and release them. And to bring forgiveness and love in their lives. Remember that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he wrote it like this in chapter four. As a prisoner of the Lord, therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Be kind and compassionate to one another, always forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. He said to the Galatians, he said, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin and you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently. But watch yourselves that you may also be tempted. Personally, it's time to really look at what's enslaving us. Together, it's time to go after the freedom and forgive people that might have been lost to us. I really felt led in our prayer meetings to first of all start with a healing service, to second of all start with anointing. And then thirdly, we're going to pray for the city. I was praying, I said, Lord, I've only got three things and I've got to be here a long time. Is there anything else? And I really feel that our prayer meetings over November should focus around prodigals coming home. I mean, people becoming back to Christ and, and becoming saved again, and perhaps people who've been disaffected with the church family, that they come home. Would you take it as your personal mission to kind of reach out to some people and say, come on, let's, let's be family again? Would you, would you perhaps, even people who you think they'll never come, would you reach out to them? Perhaps would you say to some people in your family who used to be Christians, maybe you could give it another go. Sunday evenings is going to be really appropriate. I'm going to talk about the love of God tonight and help you to see the dimensions in that, hopefully by the Spirit. Jubilee is not an idea. Now, you really need to get this. For Israel, Jubilee was not an idea. It's a command. It's a command to say, reset, put things again, and it's time to take us, take that seriously in all of our lives that we have our personal freedom that we say, I am going to become more free. We offer freedom through unity in ministry. In the first week of November, I'm going to be sharing the connection between unity and anointing. I'm going to teach again into what anointing means but I'm going to do that on Sunday mornings because it's something for every one of us to catch. It's really important that we develop and deepen our freedom. We offer freedom by reclaiming our inheritance again. And we offer freedom by a fresh commandment and a fresh commitment to relationship. My hope